Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. I'm Hayden, your American friend with a passion for British Royal history. Hi, everyone. Hi. (laughs) It's been a minute. It's been... A little later than what I would like. I'm sorry about that, but between the Thanksgiving holiday, my busy schedule as a graduate student, finishing up with exams and my dissertation proposal and all of the stress here, I think those of us that have been to grad school can at least understand one another that at a certain point, everything gets really hard, but I digress. I could talk about that, but that's not what we're here to talk about. No, but we're here a little bit later than what I would like, but we have one thing and one thing to talk about, and that is the bombshell two-part documentary, The Princes and the Press. Normally, at the top of the month, we would spend time with recapping royal news, but this was enough of a story that needed an episode dedicated to itself. So this, at least here in America, I can't speak anywhere across the pond, but here in America, this wasn't necessarily advertised very well. It sort of just came out of nowhere. I was scrolling through Twitter and all my news sources and on social media, and bam, all of a sudden we have this huge expose style interview titled Princes in the Press, and what we thought was at least how it was advertised and a lot of critics, which we'll get into it. We thought it was going to go one way, but it ended up going somewhere completely different. And it really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. It has pissed off the royal family. And we're going to talk about it. But how are we going to talk about it? In typical British royal fanatic podcast fashion, we're going to just discuss some of the high points. We're going to present the documentary objectively. Here are the facts. Here's what it discussed. Here's what we know for sure. Then we're going to discuss the immediate fallout and just public opinion. And again, presenting what everybody else is saying. And then at the end, we'll be able to have a little bit of a larger discussion and begin to form opinions of our own. But this was a very bombshell documentary. It was thought to be controversial and it very much is controversial. So buckle up. Get a drink, get a snack. We are going to delve into the documentary, The Princes and the Press. So this documentary came out, at least here in America, part one came out right before Thanksgiving, and then part two came out the Monday immediately after. This documentary was in two parts, and it was put out by the BBC. The first part covers from, historically, from the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, all the way up to the engagement of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, and then part two called Sus Exit covers exclusively only Prince Harry and Meghan, their time when especially Meghan entered, when their time as working royals, their tour, Archie's birth, and then the all of the fallout with them deciding to step away from being working royals. So one thing to note is that the BBC put these out a week apart. Typically with a documentary this style, if it's in two parts, you usually have them in a very short succession, one after the other. But this, they gave a week time, and we'll 
once we explain a little bit more of the fallout and the repercussions, we can understand a little bit why. But it is said that they had that weak timeline in order to see what the palace would do and their opinions. But in general, the goal of this documentary was to show Prince William and Prince Harry's relationships with the press and how things have changed, the overall relationship of the press with the royals and the whole press circuit and in general, it was supposed to be the younger generation of royals, sort of my generation, those that are my age and slightly older, but it ended up mainly focusing around just Prince William and Prince Harry. In general, this was very damaging to all parties. It was a big risk to have this documentary, and that's a little bit of my opinion and everybody else's opinion. But what were the main points of this documentary? Well, in general, there was a lot of focus between Prince Harry and Meghan, especially once Meghan was introduced into the documentary. That's when everything began to shift, and especially part two. It was so heavy with Prince Harry and Meghan. So that's one part, but the whole goal of this documentary, both parts, was to highlight and talk about this, quote, unspoken deal between the media and the royals. That, okay, you get to live this privileged lifestyle, partially paid for by taxpayer dollars. You get to you know, be in these palaces, go on these extravagant tours. You, you represent the UK, the very best of what the UK is supposed to be. And so now you get this, okay, you got to give us a little bit. You have to let us in. And so that's why press gets invited on these tours. And there's the Royal Rota that it's called, where they get invited to certain events. They get certain stories. They get to have a certain exclusivity to the royals. And it's this sort of symbiotic tit for tat. You give us this, you, you, you let us in a little bit, and okay, we'll be able to show you in a positive light. I believe somebody in the documentary said, the press is like scratching a puppy's belly. You know, more often than not, you'll be able to keep the puppy happy and it'll be, you know, you'll be able to rub the puppy's belly, but eventually the puppy's going to bite and fight back. It really highlighted the toxicity of this relationship that the royals have with the press. It's sort of this looking behind the curtain at the at the man of Oz, seeing behind the curtain, seeing through the looking glass, as it were, into this relationship where the royals very much have a say in how the press is seeing them, depicting them, but also the press can choose what they write about. It's it was so back and forth in terms of what it what's going on and it was a lot more than we the public really ever knew and it did sort of kind of confirm that the royals are aware of what's going on in the press. They have some say in the manipulation. They can sway the story however which way they want, depending how they treat the press, or they can just do it themselves. One thing that, more part one than part two, but it really implied that the household of Prince William and the household of Prince Harry were putting them against each other, that their households uh, were telling them conflicting stories and doing things against one another, Harry getting this sort of negative villain edit where William's getting this very positive and that's one thing that it really implied and the other point again more in part one than part two it talked about all of the illegal impossible shady stuff that the press did in the 90s up until the early 2000s in order to get into the royal sphere into 
and just to know to to report on phone tapping hacking emails of course these anonymous sources talking but they really in some ways cross the line of privacy to get these stories in some cases the royals weren't even aware at all so those are the big takeaways the at least what they wanted us to take to, to take away from it that it really tried it highlighted the relationship that the royals have with the press and that it is this very intricate song and dance that both parties have to walk because if the press pisses them off okay they're not going to give him anything but oh oh, if they don't give him anything then okay the press isn't going to report on them very favorably and it's this weird symbiotic relationship that can get incredibly toxic me as a podcaster and amateur historian i understand you know you got to do what you got to do but damn it it was kind of it was kind of a lot in the documentary there was really only no royal journalists some royal correspondents there was megan's lawyer was present to talk especially to shoot down the bullying claims and the bullying behavior no other royal was really aware of this they didn't know there's no other member of the royal family there so there we have it that's sort of the general overview of the points if you want to watch it you can of course if you have the bbc app if you have any way to watch it that way um by all means watch it it is available on youtube parts of it are available on youtube and at the time of recording it's still up but the bbc and youtube are aware and they're beginning to take that down so if you want to watch it especially on youtube for free you have a very limited time frame to do so there we have it just the bare bones bullet points of what it talked about what it tried to do now let's get into some of this fallout because in some ways the fallout's a little bit more important than what was actually discussed because that is a little bit more damaging especially now as time keeps advancing. So one thing to note is that the royal family was not aware of this documentary. They had no idea it was being made. And typically in this fashion, if there's anything large like this, the royal family is in some way, shape, or form given a heads up, maybe given a little featurette of it. Sometimes they get first screening of it, especially for courtesy. But in this case, they didn't get it. And it really came as a shock to them. And as you'll see in their responses, it highlights that. But many people have said, okay, it's free speech. Why do they get this sort of exclusivity to see it first? What's going on? But they didn't. And the only other time that they weren't given a heads up, especially in modern time, was, oh, I believe they actually got to see the Oprah interview with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. I believe they got to see that a day early. But the only other thing that comes to mind where they were completely blindsided was Princess Diana's panorama interview. They were not given any heads up. She lied to them about it, but that's a whole other story that I covered in a previous episode. So if you want to go back into the catalog, you can see it. What has been the immediate fallout? So it's been about a week since part two has come out. It's been about a week and a half, two weeks since part one has come out. After part one, Buckingham Palace, Clarence House, and Kensington Palace released a joint statement, and it reads as follows, quote, a free, responsible, and open press is of vital importance to a healthy democracy. However, too often it is overblown and unfounded claims from unnamed sources that are presented as facts, and it is disappointing when anyone, including the BBC, gives them credibility. So they are very much pointing out the BBC, calling the BBC out, calling their bluff. And additionally, 
not necessarily sure which office it was, but the palace, the, the umbrella term of the palace, has come out and denied that William's household and Harry's household were put against each other. They were never put against each other. That was immediately denied. And now, in the royal family, they're very pissed right now. And in fact, in my opinion, the BBC is dead to the royal family at this point. Prince William and Catherine have actually switched to ITV for this charity concert that they're giving. It's been rumored and leaked a little bit that Charles originally had sort of documentaries with Camilla that were going to come out on BBC that he's now switched to ITV. Um, there's actually speculation that, okay, will the BBC lose their um, rights to the que the Queen's Christmas speech? Will the Queen's Christmas speech be aired there? Will it switch to Channel 4? Will it go to ITV? And many are saying that this really hurt the relationship with the BBC and the royal family. The royal family is very hurt by this. And yes, it didn't make them look good, but it also didn't make the BBC look good. And this is where a lot of royal correspondents and a lot of people close to the royals and those close to the BBC are wondering, okay, how did the BBC let this fall through the cracks? How did they let this get happen? This is such a wild ride of a documentary that is very damning, that highlights a lot of the illegal stuff that they did in the 90s and early 2000s. It shows the intricacies of their relationships and sort of how the press really works. It, again, shows the man behind the curtain. And it is, you know, the press talking about their presence and a lot of people royal correspondents if you were on twitter when they were airing and even still to this day everybody's going how did the bbc let this happen how did the bbc let this fall through the cracks and be made how could they have such a lapse of judgment the bbc reporter that really brought this together who interviews everybody amal rajan is being drugged through the mud for this. People are coming out in his, at least, defense going, hey, he did what he wanted to do. He said to talk about the, the royal family's relationship with the press. He did that. Now, was it successful is up to you to decide. But many people are very angry and outraged with him. And again, how could you let this go forward? How could you think this was a good idea? He has recently come out and apologized for comments made in 2012 against the royal family, but he, as far as what I could find, hasn't made any comments about this documentary. But people are really hot and cold about how could the BBC let this fall through the cracks? How could they let this happen? A few people have pointed out that it's really weird that Meghan's lawyer was the only one there to represent any royals. Jenny Afia was there, and yes, she went to talk to dispute any of the claims made against Meghan. But many people are going, okay, wait a minute. She's in this. So does this mean that Megan was aware of this? Could she have been aware of this the entire time? Could she have told Jenny to talk about specific points to deny, to refute, to try to help her public image? How, you know, was Megan aware of this? That is one thing that a couple people have pointed out that, okay, if Megan's lawyer is in this, was she aware of this the entire time? And so, okay, could a Harry have been in You know, there's a whole bunch of speculation there, but that is a very good point that people bring up. Megan's lawyer was a part of it. So was Megan aware of this? 
One thing that the documentary points out quite a few times are these anonymous sources within the royal household. That there are these anonymous sources that come forward with stories that either hold a lot of credence or they're, they can barely get your shoes wet in terms of depth. An article, I believe it was The Guardian that I read, I have my sources down at the end as always, but a, a journalist commented that, okay, in this business of royal correspondence, of royal journalist, <laughs> household sources talking to and briefing the press is the very livelihood of what we do. The royal family always comes out and denies that no one in their household is talking, we don't know where these sources are coming from, which they possibly don't know where these sources are coming from, but it is very naive of the royals to think that no one in their household talks to the press when we've seen time and time again that that's actually the truth that members of the royal household either high up on the on the totem pole or very low on the totem pole wherever you fall typically there's some form of leak in there that it that is someone talking and briefing the press and especially with a lot of the allegations that's come out from megan and the book finding freedom uh, and briefing to the press that was happening, it just, again, solidifies that if you work in the royal household, there's a high likelihood that you are talking to the press, whether to help a story or to, you know, help throw shade. It doesn't necessarily matter. But some critics, even some critics to, to, to this day, hold strong that there's no leaks within the royal household. They try to keep flanks pretty tight. But no, there are leaks that happen, and it is the very livelihood of the journalism that happens there, and, you know, me when I have my news updates. That's what I rely on. In general, okay, so we've talked about specific points, what the royal family thinks, what the general thoughts of the BBC, that everybody's generally pretty upset, and the common consensus is, okay, how could you let this happen? But overall, how did people interpret the entirety of it so in general people weren't necessarily the most enthused about part two mainly because it was just a regurgitation of what we already knew it was so only focused on harry and megan that it didn't showcase anything new and yes we understand that they didn't pose for the postnatal photo and all the drama with their tour and the documentary that happened and megan going no i'm not okay that is things that we already knew and it didn't necessarily bring a new scope to things like part one did another big point was that yes this is a very intricate relationship with the press yes it's very toxic yes it's a not healthy relationship with the press but should the public really know about this this doesn't really pertain to them it's not something that is really you know of their consciousness it doesn't readily impact and also this documentary didn't really help anybody here it made the bbc and other reporters look bad it made the royal family look bad so should the public really care about the, about this but it was should they really care about you know pulling the curtain off behind the uh, to see the inner workings of oz and another thing that i saw a few times in looking at reviews is that they're making in in some cases they make very big claims and they talk about this source and this source but again they don't name anybody they don't try to back up anything about okay this person said this this person said that they just sort of generally talk about a few topics so a few people pointed out that that was just a little annoying that they wouldn't name anything they just kept referring back to anonymous sources but you know that's the deal that they have you don't i'll give you this information but don't tell anybody who i am so I can understand that. A lot of people have come out saying that this 
whole documentary is in very bad taste and in very poor timing, especially with a few months ago when it was found out that there was some form of coercion, misdirection, and lying to Princess Diana to get her Panorama interview, and then all the stuff that has immediately come out about Prince Harry and Meghan, about some of the claims they made being unfounded, that they were lies, that they weren't truth, and of course, just a few days ago, Meghan won the court case against I believe it was The Sun with the letters that got published that she did not authorize, was uh, very much an invasion of, of her privacy. So everybody's been saying, okay, this is in poor taste and timing because ABC has come out that is in the press that in some cases the BBC was complacent with, especially with the Panorama interview. And now we have this coming out. Okay, this is this is not the best timing. Some people have said, okay, but the Diana, there's so much time has passed. We really shouldn't care at this point. But no, people still do. And we're still feeling the after effects from it. And of course, in fact, from what I've heard is that part two actually had to, parts of it had to be re-edited in the interim between part one and part two when all this stuff came out about Harry and Meghan and some of their claims that they had to go back and re-edit things because of what they've found, what has come out. But even then, they didn't have enough time. One other thing that everybody points out is that this is a very one-sided documentary. This documentary really had an agenda in many ways to ruin the reputation or what's left of the reputation of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. It really painted them in a negative light. It was, in some cases, there was lots of misogyny. There was racism. There was a lot of showing, okay, here's how bad they are and how Harry doesn't get how the press works, but William does get how the press works. And so that's how there's such different reportings on their stories. Another thing that people point out is this, this these documentaries, but both parts, are in some cases manipulating and feeding a side of the story that they want you to believe at the same time talking about, okay, you can't believe everything the press says. You need to understand that we're manipulating you. So it's manipulating you as you're, as you're being told you're being manipulated. So that's, a lot of people had a lot of problems with that where, okay, you're feeding us this story and actively telling us that we feed you one-sided stories. A lot of people on Twitter, as it was airing in real time, pointed out that it was both parts are incredibly one-sided, very biased to, again, try to make Prince Harry and Meghan look bad. And really, what is left of their reputation in the United Kingdom to really, again, bury it even further? The BBC has come out in a statement of defense of their work, saying that they, quote, did over 80 hours of interviews, and they tried to reach out to many different types of news sources and outlets to interview, but still, people are divided by it. So, we've talked about what it was about, what the contents were, what the royal family has thought about it, and what the general opinion of the public is. And in my opinion, now we're to of con concretely my opinion, I've sprinkled it in a little bit throughout the, uh, this episode, but in my opinion, this doesn't do any favors. And I kind of want to know what was the real intention of this documentary, because we see where it talks about the really shady stuff that went on in the 90s and the early 2000s. It talks about the intricacies of this relationship with the press and how... 
it's this very toxic volatile relationship at times and the royal family in some cases has a say and swing over their public persona okay that's not nothing new you know if you pay attention you can pick up on that quite quickly especially in fashion with the sartorial messages that they send so it's it's no shocker that they try to manipulate the media to talk about certain things or to talk about one thing to cover up another thing you know that that that's not nothing new but it, in my opinion i just want to know what was the original intent of this documentary what was the what was the original what was the, what was the original goal here was it to showcase how volatile the relationship was or was it another way to try to show how one brother gets it one brother doesn't was it tr- intentionally trying to bash harry and megan or did it just end end up happening naturally was it supposed to be an attack on the palace or again did that just happen as they kept working on it what was the true first draft intention of this documentary and then how did it get to where it was because as advertised it was supposed to be this retrospective into you know how their relationships with the press have changed what the press has done and it more it ultimately became about the weird tactics that the press has used and let's try to again trash talk harry and megan so i would like to know what the original intent of this documentary was it got people watching it's got it's garnished a lot of clicks it's garnished a lot of attention so the bbc got the attention that they wanted but it also hurt everybody's reputation in my in my opinion I believe the saying goes, if you enjoy hot dogs, don't go to the factory to see where they're made. And this is a similar instance. You know, I I have a general understanding of how the relationship is. Maybe Joe Public down the street that they reference to doesn't, but does it readily impact them? And over here, it doesn't really impact us over here because I'm thousands of miles away and I'm just an American talking about the royal family. But over there, when you live in it, it's probably a different story. But in in my opinion, that's that's what I want to know. What was the first draft in the original intent of this documentary? And how did we get here? How did we how did this become the final product? But I would like to know, did did you watch the documentary? What did you think of it? Uh, engage with me on Twitter. But that was the big story. The Princes in the Press, this documentary that tried to highlight the different relationships of the brothers in the press but ultimately put out a product that hurt everyone it hurt every it very much affected everybody in the press it affected the royal family it's affected everybody and the repercussions are being felt and the bbc is now on the outside looking in when it comes to to the royals and it'll take a long time for that relationship to get better if they if the bbc and the royals decide they want to work on that relationship I doubt that they'll lose their rights to the Christmas speech, especially because how soon it is. But next year, or especially when Charles assumes the throne, I wouldn't be surprised if things change. But again, that's just my opinion. And I'd like to hear what you guys have to say. So can, let's continue this conversation offline. Let's, If you're in the Facebook group, if you follow me on Twitter, I'd like to know. I'd like to continue this conversation so we can, again, just keep sharing what we thought of this documentary but the princes in the press that's the big big story from november that took everybody by surprise and it's very hot and cold you either liked it and understood it or you were with the majority of people 
and didn't like it and continuously wonder how did this get through the BBC. My sources for today's podcast are the BBC, The Guardian, YouTube, Metro.co.uk, iNews.co.uk, and The Morning Show from Australia. If you made it this far, thank you for stopping by the podcast today. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to recommend topics for future episodes or let me know how I'm doing to make the podcast better, you can drop me a line over at the official email, BritishRoyalFanPod at gmail.com. Any and all suggestions for future episodes are welcome, and I have gotten a few, so if you made it this far, your suggestion might make it into next week. If you want to stay up to date on the podcast or any events happening within the royal family, you can head over to Twitter and follow me at fanatic underscore royal. I do a lot of posting and updates there, and I interact with all of you as best I can. But there's also a official Facebook page, the British Royal Fanatic Podcast Facebook page, that is slowly growing. I'm getting better at posting there, and again come and join the family. We try to have a lot of fun. If you are interested in wanting to help support the podcast and would like to make donations to it, you can head on over to either Anchor, the Anchor homepage, where there are links to make monthly donations, or there is a link pinned on the Twitter homepage for a one-time PayPal donation. Any and all would be greatly appreciated. I know it's holiday season, and I know this year's been tough. It's been tough on everyone, but if you feel so inclined, it is greatly appreciated, and I will make it worth your while, and I would greatly appreciate it. Head on over to wherever it is you're listening to rate, review, subscribe, and share. The more you do, the more this podcast can reach people, and the bigger the family can get, and I would greatly appreciate that, again, so I can make the podcast the best it can be. Have a great week, everyone. Stay safe and stay healthy, and I will see you in the next one.